rise with us as we read scripture, which is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you may not see him, you love him. Though you do not see, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Okay. Well, Christ, Christ is risen. All right, Christ is risen. Awesome. He is risen indeed. Um, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is much, much richer than any of us could possibly fathom just one Sunday. Um, we could talk about the resurrection of Jesus the rest of the Sundays of this year and the implications of this, and we will not exhaust uh, how powerful, glorious, and great of a truth this really is. And so Christ is risen, and he is present with us. He's reigning, he's ruling, and we worship the living God. Amen? All right. Well, please join me in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll go into our text this morning. God, we uh, praise you, and we bless you. God, you are the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and through Jesus, we have been born again to a living hope. God, uh, we have been born to a hope in which now we stand in your presence because of the glorious work of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our King. And God, we join uh, literally right now with billions of Christians around the world um, and countless angels and believers who are in heaven right now who are standing before you, bowing and, and declaring, Jesus, that you are the Lamb that's worthy of glory, honor, and power, that you have been slain, that you are the reigning King. Jesus, you are the living God, and we praise you with all our hearts. God, would you open up uh, this word to our hearts this morning? 
Help us to be as your people, the church, uh, the church that reflects this living King in our lives, uh, to reflect your glory, to reflect your beauty, to have a faith in Christ that is worthy, that is beautiful in this, in this dark world, that you would receive all the glory and honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hope is, uh, hope is one of the... Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Can you hear me? No? Yes? Sam can't hear me. Other people can. Um, testing? Okay. All right. They're saying... So I, I think it's something here. Nope, it's green. All right, testing, 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 testing. All right, I'll go with this. All right, there we go. Uh, well, hope is, uh, it is one of the most essential qualities uh, for us being just human. It is said that we cannot, we can live uh, without food for 40 days. We can live without water for three days, and we can live without oxygen maybe for three minutes, but it's said that we cannot live without hope for even one second. And we all have things in our lives that we all hope for, don't we? Think about your hopes. Think about, think about your dreams, the things that you are anticipating in the future. Uh, we have little hopes, we have big hopes, right? And I have hopes that one day my backhand in tennis will finally get me to the point where I can actually make a, a useful contribution to my tennis team, okay? That's, that is a sincere hope. Uh, I have hopes that, you know, I have two kids in college that I will be able to send the next two kids, my kids in college and Joshua without declaring for bankruptcy, okay? Uh, sometime next few years. That, this is my sincere hope. Um, we all have hopes, right? And for some of us, we just, even as parents, we want the best for our kids. We want to see them thrive. Uh, we want them to uh, just flourish, and we want them to walk with Jesus, right? We, we all have these kind of hopes. Uh, some of you, maybe you have a hope for that dream job, right? Or Maybe you're hoping that your workplace situation will improve, that uh, things will get better. And we can't help it, right? Because this is who we are. We are a people who are always hoping, who are always anticipating. We're always seeking that things tomorrow will be better. Well, Christians of all people are people of hope. Uh, the Bible repeatedly talks about how as believers, we are a people of tremendous hope. And this passage that we're going to look at, I want to talk about three things in particular about hope. First of all, what is this living hope that Peter talks about? Uh, what's the basis of this living hope? And finally, what is the power of this living hope in our lives? But first of all, what is living hope? Peter says in verse 3, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of skip around a little bit here and there in this passage, but I'm going to start off with verse 3, just talking about living hope. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, Peter reminds us, these readers, that we have been born again. And this idea that we've been born again is that when you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that by God's power, he infused new life into you, who gave you a new nature and a new identity. And we talked about, even in the Lord's Prayer, when we say our Father in heaven, that this identity means that we've been born again as children of the living God, as children of the King of the universe. It's a great identity. And that Jesus Christ is our ruler, our king, who reigns, and we've been ushered into this new kingdom as well. And so we're citizens where Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is what Peter reminds his readers about. And as a result of this new birth, we have been given something called a living hope. A living hope. Now, as I talked about at the beginning, we oftentimes use this word hope, and we talk about it a lot of times in terms of wishful thinking, right? <laughs> My backhand or whatever, I hope to have pizza tonight for dinner, whatever it may be, right? We, we talk about hope in terms of this is why I wish, this is why I'm, this is why I'm hoping will happen. But when scripture talks about hope, it is not wishful, positive thinking. Scripture talks about it as a certainty, as a confidence that you and I can have an expectation of the future. That this is as real as anything as there is. And what is the confident expectation that we as believers have? Well, Peter is going to talk about this expectation of the future. He says in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This idea of inheritance, I think we have to more fully understand in Scripture. But when Peter talks about, when the New Testament talks about an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, it's really, you have to understand the, the Old Testament and that one of the major themes, uh, motifs of the Old Testament is that God promised his people, the nation of Israel, an inheritance. And Moses, Joshua, leads Israel uh, out, of, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, into this promised land, eventually to this inheritance. But we know the story that because of their rebellion against God, that this land became defiled. And so God scattered then his people, the nation of Israel, all throughout the, the surrounding lands, Assyria, Babylon, other uh, nations. But one of the things that the prophets always spoke of throughout the Old Testament over and over again is that God will one day restore his people and restore back their inheritance. And this is the hope that Israel is always looking for, is the restoration of their inheritance. And the prophets announced that God would one day raise up a king from the line of David who would literally regather his people and they would return home and then they would once again enjoy this inheritance that God has been promising them. So, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 to 28, 
God promises the restoration of this people. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Now, this promise that Ezekiel is giving here, if you note, the promise that God offers his people is not just one day you're going to come back and see your old homes and your gardens and your own, back to your own land and territory. Notice what God really is promising. What does he really want for his people? He says that ultimately the way that God is going to restore his people is by removing idolatry. He's going to remove their sin. He's going to purify them. He's going to cleanse them so that God's people will no longer be scattered. They will find a true home. Not soil, right? But a true home. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who have been scattered abroad throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And these Christians have been mistreated. They've been going through all kinds of persecution and suffering for their faith. They've lost a lot. They've lost their freedom. They've lost their homes. They've lost some, some families, some loved ones. They've, they've endured a lot of grief. But one of the things that Peter talks about throughout this epistle is he applies this this old covenant imagery from Ezekiel, but he, he talks about, he applies it to this people to say that just like the Israelites who were scattered abroad and yet God promises he's going to regather you, this is what he's going to do with you right now to the readers of this letter. And this is the living hope that Peter is talking about. It's a confident expectation of being with God forever in his kingdom. This is the living hope that God offers to us as his children. Mimi and I have made several transitions throughout our lives. Um, we have gone to the East Coast, to faraway lands like New Mexico, to Northern California, to China, to back here and everything, and we made several moves, and uh, none of these moves are easy, because each move requires a kind of loss. You know, there's a loss of permanence. There's a loss of friendships, the closeness of those friendships, at least. Loss of homes, of routines, and things that we were comfortable with. It's never easy. We've had to start over and over. And one of the difficult things is probably in each transition is the difficulty that our children face. That's probably more difficult for us than anything else, the loss of stability. And 
Despite how many transitions we face, though, um, I'm always reminded that our home in this world is always temporary. It's always temporary. And there's no such thing as truly settling down. And that ultimately, we're always reminded that our true destination is not in planting roots in this world, but our ultimate destination is being planted in our future inheritance in the kingdom of God, in heaven. Peter is writing to a group of exiled Christians who've lost so much because of their faith in Christ. And in the opening of this letter, he says to those who are elect exiles, this is their identity. You are chosen exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And in this world, we as believers, our identity is not to be at home in this world. We are aliens, sojourners passing through. We're never quite at home in this world, never. We should never feel that way. Many of you in our church, this past year, you've faced tremendous losses. We have, this past year, seen too many funerals. In the past 12 months, you've lost loved ones, you've lost family, you've lost friends, dear loved ones. Some of you have lost some measure of your health. And your ability to once enjoy the things that you used to, those things are slowly diminishing. And others of us, others of you are maybe helping, you are helping to carry the burden of someone who's going through tremendous loss. And as you help carry these burdens, you yourself feel that loss yourself. We saw, even this past week, right, uh, one of the loss, losses worldwide that was felt with the, land, the landmark like Notre Dame, right? And then we all saw the images on TV, right, when that steeple fell. And everyone, whether you're Christian or not, were just horrified uh, by these images, the destruction, But we're reminded through these things that even the most famous buildings, the things that we think will endure in this world, uh, these things are are prone to fade. They're prone to become defiled, corrupted, deterioration. We're, We're prone to weakness in this world. But what Peter reminds the church is that the church, God's kingdom, will not fade. It cannot be destroyed. And for the true Christian, our real and true hope is not found in a temporary kingdom of this world, but it's found in the permanence of being with God forever in his kingdom. This is our true hope. And when we experience and face loss in this world, we should not be surprised It should always point us to our future promise, always. 
why do we get devastated? Why, we, why do we get so devastated? Because maybe we're putting too much of our hope in this world. Well, he, Peter goes on, what's the basis of this living hope? Because hope ultimately ha- must have some basis or it's just a dream. In verse 3, Peter says, well, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And note, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through the resurrection. This Sunday, as we celebrate this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, what is this about? We are here because Jesus is risen. He is risen from the grave. He is alive. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Our faith is hopeless. We are wasting our time. But because Jesus rose from the dead, our resurrection is also certain. Our death is not the final word. The resurrection of Jesus means the reversal of death itself, which is the reversal of sin's curse. And if Jesus rose from the dead, not only does it show that he can conquer death, but it shows that he can atone for our sin through his death. And so the resurrection is really the objective grounds by which we have genuine hope. This is genuine hope, banking on the resurrection of Jesus, putting our faith in him. And according to verse 2, it's also ensured by the working of the triune God in our lives. Look at verse 2. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. But this hope that God keeps instilling in us that he sustains us with is by the power of God the Father who by his foreknowledge, he said, even before the foundations of the world, I've set my love upon you, I've chosen you, and this foreknowledge of God that he's put upon you is being carried out in the sanctification of the Spirit. The sanctification of the Spirit is simply the, the way in which the Holy Spirit is not only leads you to put your faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit keeps leading you to grow in Christ and to keep putting your faith in Him. And it says for obedience to Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But obedience to Jesus Christ, when you first obeyed the gospel by repenting and putting your faith in Christ, Now, we as his people, we keep learning to repent, to believe, to keep walking with Christ, to keep obeying him. This is the ongoing work. And the resurrection is a guarantee that this will happen in our lives. Peter goes on and he talks about the power of this living hope. The third point, what's the power of this living hope? Peter tells us that not only do you have this expectation of the future, of eternity, of heaven itself, but he tells us in this life that there is a confidence that, that God is working in his, his power in us right now. Verse 5, he says, who by God's power by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says that God 
is literally guarding you, guarding your salvation. And this word being guarded is, this, is in the present tense, but this means it's constantly, constantly being kept by God. It's a military term in which it's the same term that was used in 2 Corinthians 11, speaking of the governor guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize Paul. But this idea of guarding is that God is constantly keeping watch to defend you, to defend against anything bad that might happen to you. Now, we know that God's protection in our lives does not mean that we are immune to suffering and trials and pain. In fact, later Peter is going to say, tell his readers to expect fiery trials. In 1 Peter 4.12, he says, why are you shocked? Why are you, why are you surprised that there are fiery trials that are coming upon you? So, then what sense is God guarding us if suffering is to be, not only can we not avoid it, but if suffering is to be expected in our lives? Well, the greatest threat to you and I in this world, okay, it's not the loss of our health. It's not the loss of life. It's not the loss of your finances or our homes or um, those things. The greatest threat to you and I in this life is that we lose our faith. That's truly the greatest threat. If we lose our faith, we forfeit our reward. And Peter promises in this verse that God will guard you and I by his power through faith for this future salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. What God is guarding and protecting you and I against is that we don't give up. That we don't give up trusting in Him. That we learn to keep trusting God no matter how hard things get. This is what God is truly guarding us against. And he's going to do this until we get to heaven. And this is a great promise. Verse 6, Peter continues this thought. And I want you to see something. This is, I mean, this just gets better in terms of the promise. But verse 6, six Peter says, And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice. Right? Rejoice, this exceeding joy, this, this paradox that in the midst of suffering trials that um, even though this is our this is not my natural response. My natural response to trials is not to say, wow, this is great. Praise God. You know, this is not, you know, not my nature. And yet, Peter says, there's this possibility, and not only that, but 
you actually, by God's power, will and can continue to rejoice. Now, I want you to note something, okay? And this is why I love about Scripture. It's always just so right on in, in reality of human experience. Notice what Peter doesn't say, okay? Peter is not saying, suck it up. Deal with it. Peter is not suggesting that you just, hey, just press on, you know. Hey, uh, you know, the clouds will, will kind of be removed tomorrow. Uh, just keep looking up. You know, that's not what he's saying. This is not what we call false optimism. Okay, false optimism. Just, you know, um, just look up. Don't worry about it. Things will get better. That's not what he's saying. Peter is saying, look, you are grieving. Trials, they're difficult. Pain is real. Suffering is real in this world. So he's not saying be stoic about it. Just deny the reality. It is painful. We, we don't have to pretend as Christians that everything is just great. No. You have to grieve. You have to lament. You have to recognize brokenness for what it is. But how did these Christians experience joy in the midst of suffering and pain? Well, as they looked to the purpose of it. Look at verse 7. Peter says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is the effect of trials, even though they're painful? It says that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith will be more precious. Precious metals, like gold, were oftentimes put through the fire. And when they're put through the fire, all the impurities get burned away. And when it goes through the fire, it becomes even purer, right? And this is what God does. Fake gold will be destroyed, but real gold will come out even better in the end. And what Peter is saying is that trials has a purifying effect on our faith. When our faith is tested, tried, and it's proven to be true, then our faith becomes more authentic. Trials will not diminish your faith by God's power. By God's power, trials can purify it even more. It can, it can refine it, clarify, rather than obscure your faith. This is what trials can do. Some of the godliest Christians I know are those who have gone through severe testing. Severe. Uh, this, is, this, is our, this is our journey. Through many trials and tribulations, we enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus talks about. But look at what it says. And this is probably the greatest thing, the greatest truth. So that, verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That your tested faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. 
this is a profound truth that Peter is talking about. He's saying that one of the greatest reasons why you and I as believers go through our sufferings and our trials, our griefs, is in the end, it will even display the worth and beauty of Christ more so than before if you hold true to your faith. It's one thing to praise God while life is going well. I think that's fairly easy, right? We can always thank God. God, thank you for this promotion. Thank you for, my, for this uh, health. Thank you for this, that. And we should thank God for those things. Yes. But it's fairly easy. But it's another thing to praise God when things are not going so well. When it's really difficult. Tim Keller mentions uh, in his book on walking with God through pain and suffering. He mentions this story. Uh, many of you know uh, the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. And Johnny Erickson Tata was paralyzed uh, from neck down through a diving accident. And she tells the story of how J Johnny was struggling with depression and, and thoughts of suicide and doubts about her faith as she's going through her rehab treatments in Baltimore. And as she's going through this rehab, uh, she's sharing this room with three or, four other, um, three or four other women, young women, who are also going through some kind of rehab situation. And one of the people in her room is this young girl named Denise Walters. And Denise was a very happy-go-lucky 17-year-old uh, high school senior, uh, very popular in her high school in Baltimore. And one day, um, when she's going up the steps to her high school, she starts stumbling up these steps because her knees feel weak. And then by the end of the day, she could barely walk. Uh, so she comes home, she takes, she sleeps, but then by the time she wakes up in time for dinner, her, she's paralyzed from waist down. And eventually, she becomes paralyzed from neck down, and she becomes blind. And she's Denise Walters. Um, she, suffered, she suffered from one of these rare forms of rapid progression uh, multiple sclerosis. And Johnny uh, is struggling tremendously with Denise's life because for eight long, lonely years, She's laying in this hospital room, and no one really knew about Denise. And uh, it's just her mom coming, and her mom tries to care for her, reads scripture to her. But after these eight years uh, where the, you know, she ended up dying, uh, Johnny struggles in her faith, wrestling with, you know, what was the point of that? Um, no one really knows about Denise Walters. No one's going to look at her life and say, oh, you know, look at her strong faith in Jesus. No, one, no, no, no one's going to admire her faith. No one's going to admire her life at all. It, seems like a, it seemed like a waste, right, the suffering. But then a friend opens a Bible and reads to Johnny uh, a passage in Luke chapter 15. This is the uh, famous parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, describes how when one sinner comes to repent and put their faith in Jesus, 
that all the angels of heaven are rejoicing. All the angels. And then Paul talks about in Ephesians 3.10 how the angels are looking at what happens inside the church. Okay. And just then, Johnny realized that in fact, she was not alone. And in fact, there were many people witnessing Denise's life. Not many, maybe, people, but countless angels in heaven who are watching Denise's life and her faith. And then Johnny just got it and understood that we are being watched all the time, all the time. Not just by the people around us, but by all the heavenly witness, all the angels of heaven who are constantly watching you and I. How do we praise God? How do we glorify God? How do we, in the midst of difficulty, and yes, we grieve. This is not, I'm not talking about just putting it on. But in the midst of it, how do we wrestle to keep looking to God? trusting him and this brings tremendous glory to god and tim keller he says don't you see that you're on camera there is an unimaginable but real spiritual world out there everything you do is done in front of billions of beings and god sees it too johnny wrote to her friend denise angels and demons stood amazed as they watched her uncomplaining, patient spirit rising is a sweet-smelling savor to God. And this is what Peter holds out as a hope. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That though we don't see Jesus, and though sometimes everything in the world tells you you're foolish for trusting in Jesus, why do you keep putting your hope in him that by God's power, he is going to grow your love for Christ? Christ becomes more real to you in the face of challenges, not less. That challenges cannot diminish your faith it actually can boost it and can make your love for christ even greater this is our great hope and encouragement and i want to invite even some of you today sitting here perhaps you come to church on easter and maybe you're not with us the rest of the year but i want to say thank you for coming and Perhaps some of you are sitting here and you've been wrestling with whether you want to put your trust in Christ. You've been wrestling with, I'm a Christian, but I'm just struggling. And I'm, why hold on to this faith? Why, you know, keep doing this thing if I'm not getting the things I want or whatever? But I want to invite you to, to put your faith in Christ because he is risen from the dead. He is our hope. And there is no other hope in this world that is going to last other than the hope that Jesus Christ offers to you and I. That is the only unshakable hope that we will ever have. And if you are sitting here and you're wavering or you're thinking or you're wondering, 
I want to invite you to put your faith in Christ. I want to invite you to say, Jesus, I turn to you. I don't understand everything. I don't get everything. But I do know that you are Savior of the world and you are Lord. And I do know that I want to turn away from my own way, from my own life, living it on my terms, and I want to turn to you, Jesus. I want your forgiveness, and I want to follow you as king of my life. If that is you, uh, would you respond to him? Would you put your hope, your faith in Christ with this confident expectation that as you do so, he will come into your life. He will make you born. He will cause you to be born again, and you will have true life forever with God in his kingdom. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and um, just come before God and to respond to his word. And this, this morning, this afternoon, uh, just really, uh, wherever you're at, that you would just turn to God right now and say, Lord, um, I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. I want to re-put my hope in you. I want to, I don't understand all things, but I know, Jesus, you are king. You are risen. I want you to respond to God even right now in your heart. Um, to respond to God who's speaking to you through his word, through his spirit. I'm also going to invite you that if there's anyone here today that you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would do so even right now in your heart. That as God is reaching to your heart right now and he's knocking on the door of your heart, would you open your heart by faith and receive him? Would you put your faith in Jesus? And I'm going to ask, if that is you, if there's anyone who would like to receive Christ, I do want to pray with you. If that's you, would you just indicate that by raising your hand, wherever you may be seated? Is there anyone who right now would like to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? The Spirit of God is working you. Please raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. I just want to pray for you and with you. Is there anyone? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this living hope that you have given to us through Jesus. God, we've been born again, and what a great truth this is, Lord, that nothing in this world can ever take away the treasure that we have with you, the home that we have with you, not even the difficulties of this life can ever take that away. We are being guarded, kept by your power, Lord, we are safe in your hands. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the living Christ, the resurrected one. We praise you, God. Lord, cause us to live in such a way that would be worthy of this gospel that we've received. Let us praise you, God. And let us learn to put our trust in you, Lord. Amen.